Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm best-selling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantani, New York Times best-selling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to episode 382 of The Paleo View. This week, I'm talking a topic that is top of mind for a lot of people, but I think we talk about it and don't do anything about it. So Mm. um, what I'm hoping is that both from some discussion we're going to have, some science we're going to have, and then some recommended actions that we can all maybe put ourselves in a position to be successful, not just this holiday season, but going into 2020. Yeah. It's a new decade, my friends. It's not just a new year. It's a new decade. So it's an opportunity to refresh and revamp. Um, are, you, are you tired yet of the like 2020 vision like references for oh the gosh. year 2020 of how like everybody's using that as like some kind of like marketing gimmick. So here's interesting factoid about Stacy that 99.9% of you don't know. And the other 0.1% either know me or are stalkers. And that's okay too. <laughs> um, I worked for a company called 2020 and um, I, helped them sell the company to be acquired by another company so that it doesn't exist anymore but it makes me feel really old (laughs) that at the time 2020 was so far in the future that they like named the company for this future vision and now (laughs) I am in that vision of time. Now, the company doesn't exist anymore. But yeah, so when I hear those references, all I think about is how silly it would be if that company and its name were still like in existence because um, it's because not it the future it anymore. Yeah, it wouldn't represent what it was supposed to represent. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know what makes me feel old? Thinking about Y2K. Do you remember? <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you do remember? remember? You know what's hysterical is trying to explain it to your kids. Have you explained? Yeah. yeah. No, okay. I haven't tried. Uh, we thought that going, uh, rolling over for two digit computer clocks was going to like crash all of infrastructure and end the world. We were a little bit worried that would happen. I, well, to be fair, there was a lot of code written leading up to. 2000 in order to accommodate either a four digit or allowing like the inherent um, understanding of we didn't just go back to 1900 right like (laughs) the algorithms would have put the future year behind the prior years if we hadn't made Mm -hmm. code changes so there there was a lot of change that you know needed to happen sure like we yeah we but also I feel like the pace of technological advances what still wasn't at its like most rapid yet like I really think that between like 2000 2010 we saw the the biggest jump in what technology could do compared to decades previous oh for sure 
So I think that also we we weren't yet ready to like it. It seemed like such a big deal to change all of the programs we used, or you know, for someone to change the programming of those programs in order to accommodate a four-digit date. And now you'd be like, oh, just change the you know code on the entire like every computer and the entire internet. No big. Like nowadays, it wouldn't even seem like such a big task. I think. You know what else happened in that clutch time period of the first decade of the 2000s? Um, yes, because I watched a movie on it. What? It was. Did you watch that Facebook movie? I was just going to say social media. I gave you a perfect yeah. lead in to the show topic and you dropped the ball. I thought I was. I was. Do you remember? Do you, did you see that? <laughs> You're like, movie I picked up about, the ball and I ran about with it. The, about like the birth of Facebook. That's an old movie now. Yeah, I think I've seen a lot of different movies, including The Circle with Emma Watson, um, about technology in general. Way back in the day, Hackers was my jam. Um, The kids love The Matrix. There's a lot of, like, both fiction and semi-factual technology movies out there. Speaking of The Matrix, our, our fans will know what a big deal this is for me. They just announced yesterday that Jonathan Groff... I have a kind of a crush on Jonathan Groff has been cast in the matrix four. I'm just saying this is not at all what our podcast is about. I am so confused. <laughs> I keep trying to get back on topic and I'm like, wait, where did you just take me matrix four? All right. I can't even dive into that right now. So <laughs> my, my, my brain's a little overwhelmed. I was excited about 1984 wonder woman. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna jump into the show topic. Um, which is uh, social media. So after, in the early 2000s, social media was a fantastic way to connect to people who you lost touch with. So for example, for those of us who are older, there was a time period where maybe you lost touch with your high school friends, and then you looked them up on Facebook, and you found them, versus Currently, my children want nothing to do with the people that they go to school with on Facebook, Um, but they do use other social media apps. So when we talk about social media this week in different contexts, it really just applies to any sort of platform or program that you might be using and interacting with other people. Um, It's not just Facebook and Instagram. There's also YouTube and Twitter and um, TikTok. Don't don't forget TikTok. TikTok and Snapchat. And there was that like live video thing I did for a hot minute. What was it? Um, Periscope. Periscope. Right. Like there's, there's constant changing. There was like Google for a while uh, yeah google google, what was it? google plus, plus i don't know plus? circles and so this is a constant evolution and where we are in the moment of time of recording this podcast today and where social media will be one two five years from now are entirely different but the principles remain the same which is you are interacting with people in a way that they want you to interact with them this is not reality it is reality the way that reality television is reality Mm -hmm. it is edited it is shown to you in a certain light and it's more likely than not when you're following 
non-personal friends and family that it is not a representation or reflection of the actual person. I would say that the minority of people on social media are actually showing you the the truth, the full truth, or the, the full truth. Who they I would are. say, I would say, um, especially what I would sort of classify as professional accounts are very curated, right? It's very much a this is what you know, especially when you start thinking about the, um, you know, influencers and by influencers, I, I really mean sort of the, the people whose full, um, livelihood, like, livelihood yeah. is, uh, you wanting to buy the things that they use. And so they're constantly marketing to you. And it's very, very, it's the most effective marketing now is influencer marketing. Um, but these are people who, because their livelihood is intricately linked to the image of themselves that they portray through social media, it is a very carefully planned and curated image so that you will want to buy the things that they're using and recommending um, because that's, that's, the, that's how they make money. Also, a lot of them that you might follow do genuinely use and love those things. This is not sure. to say that everyone's a bad guy. I personally quit my career to be essentially an influencer, though I don't see it that way. And I do strive very hard to show who I am and my life. But I'm also not sharing, you know, personal intimate things, for example, about people outside of my immediate family, because that's not my story to tell. And I also don't share everything about my children because that's not my, my story to tell. Mm -hmm. And they might be, you know, having some experience in life that they don't want everyone to know. So it's not necessarily that I'm intentionally hiding things. And I, I say I as a representation of a large field of people, but that isn't something that needs to be public or it isn't appropriate um, or whatever the case may be. And so it's important that you as an audience member um, understand that. And I think it's hard to remember that. I think logically we know that, but I think what ends up happening is comparison syndrome. And this mm -hmm. comparison syndrome is not just from the perspective of large influencers. It's more so um, because people, I think, know logically that that is what they're getting, right? Like they know that the Kardashians are doing a professional model shoot and whatever. It's not actually just them in front of their mirror taking a photo. Like that is very strategic for millions of people and blah, blah, blah. Um, but for your personal friends and family members um, that you follow on social media and you see so-and-so sharing the very best of their lives. I can think of someone in particular whom I know very closely who, um, if I went off of what I know of her social media, I would think that she lives the most glamorous, wonderful, happy, joy-filled, no-struggle life. But because I'm close with this person, I happen to know that oftentimes the things that she's sharing are coupled with the same struggles and frustrations that we all deal with in our lives. And it's not to say that this person needs to do something differently. It's to say that 
we as audience members of all of these people are in control of how we perceive and react to what is happening. We can only own our reaction. We cannot own what somebody else is doing. It's not our job, and I feel very strongly about this, to tell someone what they should or should not be doing. And that's why I don't like that word. If we don't like something that someone is doing, then we have the ability to walk away, to unfollow, Mm. to mute, to, you know, not be participating in whatever that is. And I think that's real life. And that's also online. And I think it's easy to see things that are pretty and beautiful and fun and to like the feeling that you get when you see that. And so you're a part of it. But then you also start to have these negative connotations to what I'm going to call comparison syndrome. So when I say comparison syndrome, I don't know if that's like a formal term. I'm sure it is. But what I mean by that is if you look at someone and start to think like, oh, I wish I had that or I should be more like this person or um, their life is so much better than mine. If you ever have those kinds of feelings, I want to highly encourage you to immediately like stop Think about what just happened to cause those feelings and make a change to redirect them. So for me, um, I had a lot of fitness people that I followed when I was competitive lifter. I had not just the people in my community, but I followed a lot of like inspirational. Yes, exactly. Inspirational fitness type people. And they weren't just strong men and women. They were also just a variety of fitness people. And a lot of them focus so much on the way their body looked. And, you know, they might say something like, oh, look how strong I am. But it was like, very clearly (laughs) a visual of how great their body looked, right? Right. And um, so when I had my back injury, I realized that it was a huge trigger for me. It was a stress. It caused anxiety. It caused um, all kinds of negative feelings about myself and my own inadequacies because I couldn't lift and blah, blah, blah. And it took me a year and a half to reformulate my feed. And what I would do is every time I was in social media, if I would see someone who did something on their own that made me feel a certain way, I took the action of owning my reaction and saying, okay, if this is how this is going to make me feel, what do I need to do about it? I need to mute this person. I need to unfollow this person. Or I need to rethink about what this person is doing that's making me feel that way. And I need to work on my own... um, uh, therapy type devices for the depression that I was in with my back, right? So there was a, a multitude of things that I needed to do. But I think a lot of people, and I hear this very often, and it's very common in um, social media and even like uh, certain movies and shows marketed to teens these days, that this is rampant with younger people, as well as those of us who are kind of in in, in you know, more mature generation, right? Like my, my teenager, um, that I have helped me, uh, I call her an intern, but you know, she's just, she's a, a local girl that comes and helps me. She talks about it with me about how, you know, it's like this, um, 
desire to be seen a certain way in the younger generation. And so it's, they put out all of this, you know, perfectly posed, blah, 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 blah. And it's not a reality in social media for them and how they feel about it. And I think we have to own that. And I I wanted Sarah to talk about some of the reasons, like the science on Mm -hmm. why these feelings come up for us, not just from the perspective of, um, oh, that, that person, um, made themselves look good and it's it's they're using an app to modify the way they look and blah 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 and coming up with all these justifications for ourselves but also like let's examine a little deeper than that like what what is it why would someone feel the need they need to do that so that they get a certain sort of response on social media and then on the other side of that like what can we do as an audience if we don't want to participate in that kind of behavior? And why would we want to not participate in that behavior because of the um, response that our bodies and our emotions have to that sort of things? And I think particularly I asked if we could talk about this this time of year because I think um, so many of us have lost loved ones, or um, maybe we don't have the relationship with our family the way that we want to have. And we're going to see a lot of people portray um, their holidays a certain way. And I guarantee you that no one has a perfect relationship with anyone. No one is going to have the most amazing holiday, those holiday photos that just look, you know, picture perfect. Nobody is living some perfect life that is quote unquote better than yours. And it's just a good reminder for us to be grateful and thankful for the lives that we get to lead and to focus on that in a way that um, makes us feel good instead of focusing on others in a way that makes us feel less than. Yeah. So I, I think that, um, you know, certainly where the research is at in terms of how social media impacts our mental health, that it's really tied into social connectivity. And so one of the things that's really interesting about social media, because the platform is very much designed to provide connection, right? For us to find our, you know, friend from middle school that moved away, that we lost touch with, um, you know, to stay in touch with our extended family in a way that is less time consuming than writing a letter or making a phone call or, you know, cheaper than, you know, flying somewhere for a family reunion. And in many ways, social media has replaced a lot of more intimate one-on-one connection with people. And that's where, social media starts to potentially have some negative impact on our mental health. So there's an interesting give and take. So depending on how we're using social media, we can use it in such a way that it actually improves our connectivity and improves our social networks. And then there's other ways that we can use social media that actually magnifies feelings of social isolation and depression and envy. And so when you start to sort of dig through the the research on Uh, social media use and mental health, what you really see is that um, 
online interaction with people does not deliver the same level of intimacy that we experience when we actually spend time with someone in person. So it can't deliver the same level of emotional support or uh, social support. And those are things that are really important to um, mental health in general and things like life satisfaction. So if our interactions with even people who are in our like close inner circle are only online interactions, we're not getting the same benefit as if literally we, we switched that around and made it a phone call or an in-person meeting. And then on top of that, what we see is that people who have a, um, who are already vulnerable or, or have previous battles with depression, anxiety, they are actually people, actually, I'm going to own that one. We are actually people who are more likely to have this magnification of, uh, negative emotions in response to social media use. So we're more likely to experience that feelings of isolation or magnifying depression, anxiety, or having, um, what actually is called social comparison syndrome. <laughs> Yours. Yep. Our spot on Stacy. So we're more likely to have that if we are already people who, um, are challenged in terms of our, our mental health, um, to begin with. So, this is, I think, a really important thing to understand. Um, negative interactions online, that doesn't, that's not just cyberbullying, but that can be getting into an argument, seeing, um, you know, uh, seeing just um, really like negative comments on something. So, you know, trolling, but even just someone being in a bad mood, right? Just having a negative interaction online can lower self-esteem it can cause us to ruminate, which is a, a symptom of depression. Um, that basically means like we're dwelling on, um, adverse events. It's magnifying our perception of, uh, shortcomings in ourselves. So the more negative interactions that we have online, the, the worse it can actually be. And if we're somebody who is already likely to compare ourselves to those around us, um, so that comparison syndrome, um, there's a, a score called the social comparison orientation uh, score as a personality trait. So if we are already somebody who um, looks at our lives in comparison to those around us, as opposed to in comparison to our own histories, our own goals, right? So as opposed to comparing to ourselves, but compared to, to the people that we know in our lives, that, that in particular, um, uh, people who, who do that are at much higher risk of, again, sort of, um, uh, social isolation, feeling lonely, but there's this sort of flip side. So one of the things that you, um, mentioned Stacy was this like need to put this very, uh, filtered, um, uh, sort of recounting of our experiences on social media. And there is this like acute, um, increase in feeling connected for a very short time. So when you post and you have somebody comment or like your posts right away, 
it has this like short-term impact of making you feel more connected, but then this overall, especially for somebody who already has um, pre-existing depression or anxiety, or you tend to socially compare yourself, the overall effect is still negative, even though there's like these short bursts of, um, of like a, a reward experience. And of course, when you start talking about a short-lived immediate reward followed by an overall negative effect, like, you know, when you start thinking about that, that's where it starts to sound a lot like addiction. Um, and it's interesting because there, there is now starting to be more research on it's generally still more focused on screen addiction in general, rather than specifically social media addiction. But this is probably, um, a, a new field that's kind of opening up and this is why, right? There's this short-term reward, but then overall, if we're not reinforcing our online interactions with in-person connection, this potential for uh, a negative impact on our mental health. Now, there's a lot of caveats here, because, and this is where um, I'm super excited to talk about this, because there's ways that you can protect yourselves from this negative impact of social media. Um, so it's important to emphasize that um, people who tend to um, use social media to keep in touch with people in between seeing them, your friends at work, your family members, but you're nurturing those relationships with phone calls or in-person meetings, social media appears to actually be beneficial rather than um, have a harmful effect on mental health. And if you're not somebody who's susceptible to depression or anxiety or social comparison, you're much less likely to have any psychologically harmful effects and you're more likely to experience just the benefits of communicating with others online. So experiencing that connection without that trade-off of that long-term, you know, negative effect. So it's, um, it's also, uh, for people who are mainly interacting online with people that they actually know in real life, as opposed to strangers, um, they're also far less likely to experience any kind of negative effects with their social media use. So there's there's some guidelines that can come out of the scientific literature on the impact of social media use and mental health that really boil down to using social media to enhance our relationships, to enhance our social connection with others, there's still room, I think, in there for using social media as entertainment. Um, but it involves a lot of, I think, self-awareness. So really, um, Stacey, like you were talking about, once you're recognizing that you're reaction to a person's post is contextually different because of what's going on in your life and that you've hit a point in your life where that post is no longer inspiring you, but instead, you know, magnifying frustration or, you know, whatever it is, you know, having that self-awareness to, to recognize when an account is um, benefiting or potentially undermining our mental health, that is really, really important with using social media in a 
constructive and healthful way as opposed to increasing our vulnerability to the negative mental health effects of social media. I love, but I'm not surprised by any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I think it's, it's interesting as we phrase it, I think having known what I went through versus not knowing the exact science and terms and all of that kind of stuff. I think that the biggest message that I want to share all of that is that we own our reactions, right? And I've, mm-hmm. I've said this already, you've said it, but I'm just going to kind of reiterate. Um, so when we're looking to kind of get the, the most out of social media and, and think through what are the Um, things that we can do to curate a space that is helpful, that does foster positive relationships and does allow us to grow and be our better version or a best version of ourselves. Like, what does that look like? I think one of the things is, is really understanding that um, I am not responsible for how you react or feel, although I am responsible from my own personal perspective, um, I want to, um, create an environment that is welcoming and positive and encouraging because that's what I want my social media to be. But there are plenty of people on the internet who intentionally create, um, friction because it is beneficial to have high engagement of things that have friction, right? And that's, virality. Yes, we have seen this both, you know, in our own communities as mm-hmm. in the the broader space of things are um successful on the internet when you have high engagement. You have high engagement when there is when conflict. You're, yeah, when you're <laughs> when provocative. Yes, yeah. exactly. So be aware that some people might not even believe some of the things that they're saying or doing, but they're they're doing it in a way that exists for that. So if you don't like that, if you see something and you're like, this is ridiculous, this this person is being picked on or you know, um, this thing that this person is saying doesn't make sense to me, then it's my, it's my reaction as a consumer of that to, to walk away. So one of the things that you can do, like I mentioned before, is to curate your feed in a way that represents what you want out of it. So like mm-hmm. my fitness goals changed and it wasn't um, something that I personally could handle anymore after my injury... I changed my feed to no longer have that kind of um, uh, representation, right? And my feed is now filled with a lot of um, body positivity and um, humanitarian type uh, individuals because that's the, the phase of life that I'm in right now. And it is helpful and positive for me to be getting that reinforcement of the things that matter to me and surrounding myself with um, the things that I want to hear that are helpful for me. So um, if you're following, let's say, someone who's like a personal friend. So, for example, one of my family members is very political, <laughs> just very <laughs> political on social media. And whether it's something you also believe in or don't believe in, um, you don't need to see that, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to disassociate or unfriend this person on social media because they are my friend. Um, but I, I, it's not what I want in my social media feed. So 
I muted this person, right? There are, there are options. And for the people that share things that I love and I want to prioritize and I want to make sure that I see because of the algorithms of social media, which we're not even getting into today. No. <laughs> That's a whole other thing entirely. That's a whole to, other can of worms. Right. To talk about what the makers of the platform want you to see. But um, if you want to make sure you don't miss something, the only way to do that is to, you know, say, yes, make sure I see this, get notifications for this person. Um, so that when that person posts, you get a notification in your messages to make sure you don't miss it. Um, I, I know, for example, on Facebook, you can say, put this at the top of my feed. And on Instagram, you can get a notification and make sure that you see things. And um, I'm also talking about like Pinterest, for example, like mm -hmm. I love to go on Pinterest maybe once a week and, you know, while I'm watching a movie or something and just like scroll and look at things like it's also about curating everything that you're on because um, there were things in Pinterest that I had to, to change or unfollow or different kinds of things like that. It's not just Facebook and Instagram. So um, I think when we're talking about curating that feed, um, Sarah, you had some ideas beyond just like this social aspect that I think are, are important to kind of think about as well. Right. Yeah. So I think that, um, filling our feeds with things that, uh, support our goals, um, versus things that undermine. So I think that sometimes it can be something really subtle. So I think like you can have like your experience of I've injured my back and I can't do this sport that I loved anymore and I'm frustrated and I miss it and I have all of these you know really strong emotions so that when I see somebody who I used to think their their account was really inspirational because of how they lift or whatever it is now that makes me just like remember how frustrated I am so that's like a really I think um well obviously Stacy you are a person who is incredibly self-aware but I think also it's easy to identify a big negative reaction like that. So if you have your uncle who has a completely different political leanings to what you have and they post about their whatever favorite policies or least favorite policies like all the time. Conspiracy that theories. Person, <laughs> right. Or whatever it is. Um, you know, you you can hide you know, it's, it's a sort of an easy choice to hide those things from yourself. And um, I especially like that you brought up muting because you used to be able to just follow or unfollow. And now there's a lot of in-between gray things that you can do. You can hide things from your feed without unfollowing or hide things from your feed without, um, without unfriending somebody. And so that I think is, is really powerful because it still allows you to connect with that person, but on your terms, as opposed to on the social media algorithms terms. But I think that there's also um, slightly more subtle things, right? So I, um, you know, recognized as a few years ago that uh, looking at beautiful pictures of cakes was not helping me. <laughs> and and it's, but it, you know, like it's, they're gorgeous. Like I, my immediate reaction is a positive reaction, right? Yep. I, I laugh because I'm like, cake. totally. The minute I see it, I'm like, oh, I want that. 
yeah, like, oh, I want to learn how to make that. I want to eat it. Like, that's fantastic. I'm going to paleofy that. But it's not actually supporting my goals of, you know, an overall healthy diet. It's actually triggering some of my food addiction symptoms. And, um, and that's even though my reaction to that feels positive, it is not something that is particularly helpful. So I kind of wanted to add to the curating feed um, talking point with how to use social media in a positive way um, by encouraging people to not just think about the things that you have a negative reaction to, but thinking about the things that you maybe have an unhealthy positive reaction to. Um, so really thinking about like what what would be in your feed that would actually enrich your life? Um, so I have in my feed a lot of super nerdy science things because I love nerding out about all kinds of different science things. And I have a lot of like just straight humor because that is something that I'm specifically trying to find more of in my day, right? Just more like harmless. It's all really light humor. None of it's, you know, personal or personal or self-effacing humor. Um, so there's a very specific type of, well, you know, puns generally are my favorite. Um, but I'm like, shocked. right. Um, do you have but, videos of people hugging? Is that an account you follow? No, <laughs> but a light bulb just went off to find. Yes, some. I do really love the guy. I can't remember. I'm blanking on his name right now. There's an Instagram account that I love, and it's just a guy's giant beard, and he just sticks things in his beard. Whoa, I couldn't. And it's handle just that. like nope. here's all Lego figures in his beard. That is here's stressing all, me out just hearing about it. I I just find the creativity, the fact that he's still going, is just um just, I yeah, I just I find it amusing. Um. So I, I think that what resonates with people in terms of, you know, finding enrichment in social media can be very different, obviously, because I like beard guy and you're like, whoa, no way. I just want to <laughs> wash that guy's beard. Um, but, but, but I think that um, I think that it's really important to to really think about how the images you're looking at online or the videos or the text are reinforcing your values or your priorities or your goals versus challenging them. And I don't, you know, I, th I think it's really important to not isolate ourselves online so that we're not exposed to, um, you know, uh, opposing points of view. Um, but at the same time, when it's not a conversation and it's just um, anger and ranting and shouting, that's not constructive, right? That's not going to help you expand your knowledge base to be able to reevaluate your opinion on whatever topic. And so while I think that our sort of tribalism online is problematic, that doesn't mean that I'm just going to start following all of these different people I disagree with. That's not necessarily the solution, right? So finding those accounts where... Um, where things are information-based, where you can learn more about a topic, where you can engage in a conversation, that's where, you know, positive personal growth can happen as opposed to, um, you know, just grabbing the, the megaphone and, and shouting, which is an excellent segue to um, how we, it's not just how we react, I think, to social media, I think it's how we interact. And I think there's there's part of it where, you know, if 
we notice that, say, a friend has muted us or unfollowed us, that it's not necessarily personal. Like that person may be curating their feed, um, but there's also the piece of it of um, I like to uh, remember that there's a person. <laughs> I am talking to a person online. And my my rule for how I interact with people online is that I will never say anything in a, you know, comment or a, you know, private message that I would not say to somebody face to face. And, um, and I think about if I was if I was in a room with this person, is this what I would say? Um, and or I also what do they deserve to hear from you? you right? Like I, I feel like as part of both of those, I can think about people who, for example, blocked me, and I didn't take it personally. But I also felt like, well, that's a super chicken way of saying I'm not going to be friends with you anymore. You know what I mean? Like instead mm -hmm. of a conversation or explanation of, and this was real life, you know, people that I knew in real life that it's like breaking up via text, right? It's, can you do it? Yes. Is it the best? And I think sticking to, like you're saying, real human interactions and saying things to people that you would say if you're curating your feed and you realize that someone is negatively affecting your life um, and you and you are going to unfriend them or block them, like they will realize that. I, I don't know of a way to find out people who have muted you. So that's kind of a, a safe bet, but um, or safer, so to speak. But I, I yeah. do think that it's it's worthy of noting that if this is someone that you personally have a relationship with, that carrying that personal relationship forward and I know it's difficult like but we have to get uncomfortable sometimes for personal growth and maybe it will benefit them to hear you know I really have a difficult time because I've been trying to have a baby for so long and you guys are you know pregnant and talking so much about this on social media it's very hard for me and so I'm gonna take a step back like that's that's important for and them making to hear it not personal exactly. right like I'm happy for you, but it's, you know, I'm it's doing too this hard for, for my own. Yeah. Yes. I personally had to tell a few friends who I was close with, um, on social media, like, I love that you're still lifting and you're awesome and I'm supportive of you, but I can't engage in social media with you on this stuff anymore because I personally am having a hard time with it. And that went so much better than if I would have just like not said anything at all and stopped showing up at the gym and unfollowed everybody. And then it would have been like, what happened? You know what I mean? And so I, I just want to point out, I, I feel like that's a two way street. It's not just about stopping, but it's also about giving back to that personal relationship. Um, and the other part of that that I want to talk about is with this interaction. So whether it's you, um, find yourself loving content from someone, let's say in this case, an influencer, um, but you just scroll by, the more feedback you give, the more benefit you get out of it, like Sarah talked about, right? So if someone posts something that speaks to you, that that touches you emotionally or um, makes you think about something from a different perspective, tell them that. If you were having a conversation with a person and they said something really insightful, I hope that you're having that human interaction to say, 
wow, that's, that's really helpful. That made me think about whatever. Have that interaction with people online two ways, whether it's, you know, your personal friends and family, or it's people who, you know, are working on building a business online, or whether it's someone who has an established influence online, like they, they want to hear that from you, no matter who they are. And with that, I would say, the people that you find yourself not engaging with, the people whose photos you're scrolling past, those are the people also to think about, do you really want that content in your feed? Because Mm -hmm. even though it might not be striking an emotional chord with you, if you tailor your feed to, for example, um, like, like I have with body positivity or like Sarah was saying with, um, you know, lifestyle food. Um, I follow someone who is a zero waste contributor and she makes me really think about my life like and how much trash we take out. Like I can't do what she's doing, but I can do better and I can be inspired by her in a positive way. And it doesn't make me feel bad about what we're doing. It makes me be inspired to change. Right. Um, but you won't, you will see less of those people that you want to see more of if you have other things in your feed that are kind of clogging it up. Speaking shortly to this algorithm system, right? Like your platform, it sees certain types of accounts and the hashtags they use and the type of content they make. And the system thinks that it's showing you what you want to see. And so if you're not seeing the things you want to see, maybe remove some of those other things that you're not yeah. interacting and engaging with. I think or that's Or interact such a good with the things that you like. Exactly. So rather than if you were reading somebody's post, um, take the take take the minutes to to like it or comment. Um, even if you don't feel like you have something to add to say the conversation that's happening in the comments um taking that moment to interact with it will tell the algorithms that that's the type of content that you like so you'll see more of that type of content um even including sometimes accounts that you don't follow so you'll periodically get shown something that you don't follow as a way of like you know hey are you this seems like something you might be interested in are you interested in this and it's it can be you know, when you're really training the algorithms to uh, recognize what it is that you want to see, that's more likely that you'll find something new that is, you know, super compatible with your goals for how you're using social media, because the algorithm will be able to be like, oh, I've noticed that you really like cat memes. Here's some more cat meme accounts. <laughs> Here's Canadians hugging and apologizing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the the last um, the last thing that I, w- I sort of wanted to to add to this sort of more um, general conversation on ways to approach social media that can help benefit our mental health as opposed to undermine it is um, there was a, an interesting uh, study that was published um, two three weeks ago and um, I read this very excellent article. Um, that was summarizing the study and sort of bringing in some of the backgrounds. And it was about what the changes that happen in our brain when we complain. So on average, people will complain about once a minute in conversation. Yeah. Um, And we do this online, right? Like online is a, is a platform for uh, posting your (laughs) curated 
edited filtered photos of life and then complaining about other people. Um, so I think this is very, very relevant to this conversation. But what happens when we complain frequently and we don't check it is the basically we're practicing it. So just like if you practice a musical instrument, you develop muscle memory and you you start getting very good at playing without thinking about it. Uh, if you complain a lot, you basically in increase the region of the brain that's being used for complaining. You, you, you basically turn those neural pathways into highways that can go. It's so practiced. It can be faster and it becomes easier to be in this really negative mindset. And that, of course, you know, we've talked about, you know, positivity on the show before, and how beneficial that is, uh, negativity is associated with all kinds of negative health outcomes, right? So if you're, if you are a, um, if your default is to be a very negative person, that actually does translate to increased risk of chronic disease and decreased survival if you are faced with chronic disease. Like it's, it's really important to sort of develop um, a baseline sort of positivity. Um, and what was really fascinating in this article was they had two, like, really sort of tangible solutions for um, breaking ourselves out of that um, kind of default of complaining. And one was, this is straight from the article, to develop an attitude of gratitude, uh, which I I loved because it rhymed. But what they really mean is um, uh, sort of gratitude meditation or gratitude journaling um, or even just, um, you know, in a situation that you would normally complain, like find, find the thing that's good in that situation, find the thing that you can be grateful for was sort of what they were getting at. Um, but the other one that I, I really liked, and my husband and I have started using this as a, um, check on each other when we find ourselves complaining is solution oriented complaining. Um, so we're being really facetious to each other. I'm like, are you solution oriented complaining right now? <laughs> but, but in real life, what this means is, um, only complaining when you are basically advocating for, uh, some kind of resolution, some kind of positive outcome. So, um, you know, I, uh, the meal I got in this restaurant is not, you know, it's not good. So instead of just, complaining to the server about how terrible it is, uh, what's, you know, what's the solution that you want to advocate for? Um, can I actually get a different meal or can I, um, you know, I'm not actually that hungry. I, can I get some money taken off my bill because this was not a, it was not as advertised, right? It's like having a outcome that you're, um, advocating for and starting that solution oriented, oriented complaining, with the common ground. Like, um, I realized that, um, I misunderstood what the description of this food was when I was reading the menu. Right. So like, uh, the, rather than assigning blame, finding common ground, and then rather than just complaining, advocating for some kind of resolution. And if there's not a resolution, right? It's raining today and it's going to keep raining for the next two days because that's what the forecast is. There's no solution-oriented complaining that can happen. Well, maybe bringing an umbrella, but you know, it's, it's not the same type of thing where there's like an obvious way to resolve the situation because it is the weather. So instead, that's where 
uh, attitude of gratitude can come in, right? Like I'm going to remember that um, all of the, you know, plant life around where I live needs water to grow. And I really love being able to look at trees and flowers. So I'm going to be grateful for this rain, even though, you know, I don't have as much energy on a cold, rainy, dark day, right? So, so thinking about it in terms of the positive. And I think that we can apply that online when we're seeing things that um, would normally rope us into a very sort of complaining conversation, a very negative conversation. We can be very intentional about how we're interacting with that type of content and either engage with an attitude of gratitude or engage with solution-oriented complaining or choose not to engage. No, I love that. And I think uh, it's important that you tied it to real life because um, that was something that as a leader in a corporate environment, we experienced so often. And it was like, okay, I understand that this thing went wrong. Now, how do we fix it? You know, it's like now that that idea is always that next step. And I think it's important to apply that perspective to everything in life, not just, you know, social media, work, personal life. When you find yourself in a negative spiral, it's examining not just how did I get here so that I can work on having a more positive, joy-filled, grateful life, but also if it is a bad situation, how can I fix it or how can I see it differently? So thank you for indulging me this week as we explored a topic um, that I think, well, if you're listening to a podcast, you're obviously engaging on social media. You mm-hmm. you are engaging with us here and we thank you for um, finding our show a positive experience that brings... <laughs> um, goodness or education or whatever it is to your life. We, we strive very hard to make the shows not just um, educational, but in in a way that you can apply it to your life to, to live better, healthier, happier lives. So we thank you for being here and for engaging with us. We would love to engage more with you on social media. I know um, Sarah and I have both made strives over the last, I would say, couple of years to really re-examine um, how we think of social media, how we think of our relationship with you and, mm-hmm. you know, our own time on those platforms and how we can um, maximize our personal relationships. And we encourage you to do the same. We cannot thank you enough when you engage with us, when you share with others and bring them into the conversation and um, when you provide a review so that the next person can read it. All of that is part of this conversation that we're having and we thank you for being a part of that with us. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Man has to leave and the dog is not used to not being with humans. I mean, that's what happens when people work from home. (laughs) And spoil their dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm familiar. She only goes in the crate maybe like once a week. And... Like, I'll have Cole stay home if we're running to the grocery store. Just, like, stay with Penny. <laughs> <laughs>
It's terrible. Oh. Crates um, are supposed to be a safe, wonderful place for them. Yes. She doesn't mind it, but she does always give us the sad look like, wait, what, what, what are you going? But I mean, she does have the like, but don't you feel bad for me? Constant facial expression. So. Yes. Or the resting face that looks like she's just cranky with whatever you're doing which i i I love it it's so epic russ says she needs her own instagram account of like her doing fun things but having that face (laughs) (laughs) on a roller coaster (laughs) (laughs) frolicking in a beautiful garden (laughs) eating this giant cake I, I believe I just named my three favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just learned something about myself. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have put roller coaster first. It's fascinating. I also would not have put roller coaster first, but then when I realized that I was really just coming up with things that I like, I was like, oh, maybe I like roller coasters more than I think. As long as they don't go upside down. Those upside down roller coasters are not my thing. It's, is it even a roller coaster if it doesn't go upside down? Yeah, you can have really awesome roller coasters that do not have loop de loops and twisty duackies. Duackies. That's the classical term. Technical yeah. term. Yes. That's, you know, when people are in line for the like super big roller coaster with all the twisty duackies, that's what they're all talking about in line. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for the twisty duacky. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.